Brothers and sisters, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word as we continue forward together in the book of Acts. It'll be the second sermon, uh, part two, if you will, of Peter's, about Peter's second sermon here in the book of Acts. I'll read from verse 1 of chapter 3 uh, through to verse 4 of chapter 4. Please listen carefully because this is God's holy and infallible Word. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name... Through faith in His name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through Him has given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all His prophets, that the Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted." that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. 
Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. And being greatly disturbed, they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. So when you look around at the world, on the news, in your daily life, do you think there's some problems in our world? Do you see a lack of justice? Do you see barren and empty souls living as less than human? Uh, clamoring for some form of spirituality, often confused and seeking, seeking spirituality in the wrong places, trying to connect with some invisible force other than God. Do you see relationships that are broken? Do you see people struggling to enjoy one another? Do you see institutions set up that oppress people and bring much darkness and suffering into this world? Do you see the need for a Savior who can fix all of this? Well, Peter knows this. Peter knew this, and he presented this whole concept to the Jews of that time. So I hope that uh, in your life, if you're hungry for relationship with God that's restored, if you're hungry to have your sins blotted out, definitively, once for all, and to know it with certainty in your life, and to be the refreshed one who overflows unto being an agent for the restoration of all things, because that's how God fixes things. If you're hungry for that, then this message is for you. You will find yourself encouraged to know that your sins have been forgiven, and that your barren soul can be refreshed over and over again, and that the people of God can be the refreshed people of this world, and we can be that invincible force, broken, weak, fallible, yet invincible force that God uses in the earth to bring about the restoration of all things through the refreshing of His people. It's a very encouraging word the Lord has for us today. So last week, uh, in the first part of this sermon, you recall we looked at the healing that took place. This man that had been lame since birth, his ankles and feet were mangled, they did not work, and they were restored immediately all at once through the healing power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people rise up clamoring, curious, excited to find out what's going on. And Peter, like he did in chapter 2, capitalizes on this curiosity and he points the people to God, not me, not John, not any human power, the power of God. God has glorified his servant Jesus through this healing. And then, of course, he goes right into preaching about Jesus, his death, which he charges the people with, and Christ's resurrection from the dead, the source of all of our hope, the certain source of all of our hope, Christ's resurrection. And then he goes on to make it very clear. This man was healed through Jesus Christ's power. This man had faith in Jesus Christ and he was restored to wholeness through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he called the people to repent. We looked at that last week. And you'll recall during the sermon last week, I said, 
We don't want to separate, like we've got to separate this sermon of Peter's into two sermons here at Foothills, but that's not how we really should look at preaching or presenting the gospel. The gospel should always be about having our sins blotted out when we repent and we turn back to God. We can count on the definitive forgiveness that is ours in Christ. And we should expect then, going on in today's sermon, the overflowing of the Holy Spirit poured out in our lives. The refreshment that is ours in this world filled with thorns and thistles and sin and enemies. But we can expect the times of refreshing to come to us. And this is where we come into today's sermon. He tells them about the times of refreshing and the times of the restoration of all things And we're going to talk a lot about that today. And then he points to the prophecy that was given by Moses about a prophet like Moses. He references multiple times all the prophets have foretold this time about Jesus. It's not some mysterious doctrine locked away in an obscure, dark corner of the Scripture. It's everywhere on every page, if you will, of the Old Covenant writings. And then he encourages them, pointing to that great promise given to Abraham that through his seed... All the nations, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And that serves as a bit of a summary, if you will, of what it means for these times of refreshing that are coming. What it means for the times of the restoration of all things. How does it happen? It happens through the seed. Jesus, his church, his people being the blessing to all of the world. So, and then of course, as usual, some questions to say, hey, what does this mean for us today? So, the fruit of repentance, and, and again, you notice in your, in your sermon notes, I want to highlight this, these are things that accompany salvation, right? The fruit of repentance is, of course, first, the forgiveness of sins. It comes with repentance and conversion, turning to God, having all of our sins blotted out. But then there's more, and he goes into the, the more in this verse, these verses, 19 through 21. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. So Peter, remember, he's speaking to the men of Israel. And he calls the men of Israel, the Jews, that's who he's preaching to. Now, of course, it applies to us, but he's preaching to first century Jews, probably A.D. 30, sometime shortly after the very, very, very first Pentecost. This is at the temple. This is where this is happening. And he calls these men of Israel to repent of their sins and to turn back to God. Not just the sin of killing Jesus, remember, but all of their sins. And don't turn away from one sinful life unto another sinful life. Don't be converted away from one form of falsehood to another. No. Turn away from their life of sin and turn to God. If they repent and turn back to God, their sins will be blotted out. Remember, we talked about that. Obliterated, eliminated, completely removed. And I didn't emphasize this last week like I should have. This concept of having sins blotted out is something that would have been surprising to the Jews. Because they were watching animals every day, every day, every day, every day. And they didn't understand very well because of that that there was a way for there to be one sacrifice once for all. To have all of our sins blotted out forever and ever. So there's this definitive forgiveness that is available through Christ Jesus. 
there's more than that. Christianity is more than just freedom from individual sin. It's more than just about getting to heaven. If they repent and turn back to God, not only will their sins be blotted out, but also the Lord will send times of refreshing and times of restoration of all things. You see the connection. These times of refreshing, these times of the restoration of all things are connected to the nation of Israel repenting. These things come together. So let's talk about these times of refreshing. So this word times here, it's a measure of time, a larger or smaller portion of time. It can be an occasion, points of time. It can be a period of time, indefinite periods of time. It can be an era. So there's a lot of different meanings But the point is, there's multiple of these times that are going to come through the repentance. What about this word, refreshing? Well, this is really sweet. Okay? It's a cooling. It's a refreshing. Caleb and I were uh, outside yesterday. He was helping me with some fishing line. And he's running around out in the heat. And he said, Daddy, I'm hot and sweaty. I said, okay. He said, I want some. And so he got some water. You all know what I'm talking about. That feeling of heat. That in our world where we live, you know, the humidity, it's like pushing you down. So think of that in terms of the refreshing that comes to our souls when our souls are in that same state. Think of today, if you will. I think it's accurate to say that every Sabbath day is a time of refreshing for us as people. So, relief, refreshment, relaxation from burdensome circumstance. And it's also associated with encouragement, a state of cheer after a difficult time. So he's telling the Jews, in your repentance, times of refreshing are coming. Also, we see relief from distressful, burdensome circumstances Relief such as breathing space is another way of thinking about it. This phrase is generally regarded as a reference to the Messianic age. You know, today's Pentecost Sunday. You probably wonder, hey, look, there are the green ties back. Because it's Pentecost, right? It's the, it's the time, it's the green growth time that we celebrate all these Sundays until the end of the church calendar. It was gold before because of Easter. You know, Thursday this last week was Ascension Sunday. The life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ rightly sets the times and seasons of every single year from beginning to end. So this is a state of cheer and encouragement. We're living in this time of Pentecost. We're living in this time. Refreshing, encouragement, recovery of happiness. In the Septuagint, this Greek word is used about Pharaoh and frogs. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. Now, I'll just stop here and say, most of us have kids who play with frogs. right? Some of, some of you might run away from frogs, but a lot of kids play with frogs. But could you imagine a house full of frogs? A, a, a pantry full of frogs? A bathroom full of frogs? You know, a bed full of frogs? I could go on and on, right? Frogs everywhere going on. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. Okay, so this is the picture given to us from the Word as an analogy of the difficult things that we go through that we need relief from. 
those froggy times, we might want to call them. But when Pharaoh saw that there, wa- that there was relief, so that's the word, there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them, as the Lord had said. So, of course, some of these Jews listening to Peter that day, they would take the path of Pharaoh and they would suffer the wrath to come upon the nation of Israel. But many of them saw the froggy times rightly and repented. One commentator says, in the context of verse 19 and 26, the times of refreshing are the lifting of the burden of sin, the relief from the knowledge of having been implicated in the execution of God's Messiah. So that's the first thing. He had just told them, and if it was, if it was bearing down on them, they had participated in killing their Messiah. Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Right? That was their voice. And they're relieved of that. Going on. The relaxation and the knowledge that the promised new covenant has arrived in God's revelation in and through Jesus, His servant who is the author of life. In short, God's blessing and the realization of the peace which was promised at Jesus' birth. So this great peace that they had been expecting, this great arrival of Shalom and the Prince of Peace has come. Going on with the commentator. In the context of Acts 2.38, the times of refreshing are the age of salvation which has arrived with Jesus the Messiah who bestows the transforming presence of God's Spirit upon His people. And we are amongst those families of the earth who've been blessed by this great thing that He's doing. Another commentator says, the times of refreshing is another New Testament hapax expression. That means it's used only here. There's no place else in the New Testament where we find it. It looks to a period of time that includes rest and refreshment. This Greek word refers to a cooling, to relieve trouble, or to dry out a wound. Other translations say refreshment or refreshing, or to cool by blowing is the idea of the related verb. The cooling that we need that God gives by His Spirit. In the Septuagint, the only use of this word is in Exodus 8.11 where it refers to to relief from the plague of frogs, as we've already said. This verb, so the verb form of this word in the Septuagint, is used of the Sabbath rest of slaves and animals and the soothing of Saul by David's music. So when we sing, our souls can be refreshed. Going on. The arrival then is of a period of messianic refreshment, the definitive age of salvation. This is who Jesus is and what he is doing. He is pouring out these times of refreshing. Are you living in it? Does this characterize your life? If not, why not? Let's get there today. This idea has parallels in Judaism and is traditional in its origin. It refers to entry into a new and unending eschatological life before the Lord. The closest parallel in the New Testament is the concept of rest given to us in Hebrews 3 and 4. One wonders if this word alludes to the Spirit's washing work in the Messianic age that points to spiritual refreshment. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I need this drink of cold water every day. How about you? We need to go to Him and be refreshed every day. Where does this refreshment come from? Does it come from a box in heaven? Is it off a shelf in heaven? Does it come from even the altar of heaven, no, no, from before the face of the Father. 
The refreshment that God gives to us, we're told, comes from the presence of the Lord. That's how the New King James translates it. But it means from the face of the Lord. And as the text goes on, we'll see that the Lord here is the Father. That the times of refreshing may come from the face of the Lord. So brothers and sisters, you know, at the end of today's sermon, or excuse me, at the end of today's worship, what will we do? We'll have the commissioned blessing, right? And we will speak and seek the peace of God from His face. That His face may shine upon us. That His countenance may be favorable to us. This is the refreshing. This is the source, the only source of the refreshing is to be welcome before the face of God. And for Him to deliver by His Spirit, His very face, if you will, to us by His Spirit. So the men of Israel, the offspring of Abraham, are called to turn away from their paths of dry bones death and be forgiven, to enter into this definitive forgiveness. They don't need the bulls and the lambs anymore. And to be brought into the relief, the refreshment, the rejuvenation that will come to them from the face of God. This is likely a reference to the Lord sending forth His Holy Spirit during this age of Pentecost. It's another way that we can think about the work of the Holy Spirit is bringing the Father's favorable smile into our souls over and over again because of Jesus. And we need faith to believe that. I don't know about you, but it sounds really good, but a lot of times I do not believe that God is looking at me that way. You know, we can grieve the Spirit, we can quench the Spirit, but we can never wipe away the smile on our Father's face even in the midst of His grief towards us. Even in the midst of quenching the Spirit. If we are His, His face is always smiling to us because of Jesus. Think of His face towards His Son, Jesus. Think of the Father's delight in the Son that we read about. It's yours. It's yours. As much as it's Jesus, it is yours. We need to believe this, don't we? Verse 20, and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. So Peter's brought them into the idea of the times of refreshing. We've talked a little bit about that. Now he takes them on to the times of the restoration of all things and he brings us up this idea of sending Jesus Christ. So we see here, Peter is pointing to Christ ascended and enthroned, right? It says, whom, whom heaven must receive. Ascended and enthroned. And Peter brings the people into consideration of their Messiah's current status and his future plans. Also, Peter points back to before time began because a better translation of this, instead of who was preached to you before, is who was appointed beforehand. This is looking back to the eternal covenant of redemption where Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had your name in His heart. Had your being in His mind. Knew He would create you and die for you and bring His bride back to Himself. This Jesus was appointed beforehand. So Peter brings them into the full eternal scope of the ministry of God, the ministry of Christ. Peter states that Jesus had been appointed as Messiah by God in his eternal plan of salvation. That's from Eckhart. So, looking at this text, Peter is pointing them back to before time began. 
Now what about this phrase here, that He the Father may send Jesus Christ? This is a phrase that we have to think about. This sending could be Christ's visitation at A.D. 70. We know that was a form of Christ returning. He didn't stand on the earth. Or it could reference Christ's return at the end of history. I also found another commentary that said perhaps it's referencing Christ coming through the preaching of the Word. But given the context, whom heaven must receive until, this is most likely pointing to the end of the messianic age on earth. So the, all the way to the end of Christ's heavenly reign. This sending of Christ to judge the world at the end of time, and this is from Henry, will be a blessing to you. You shall then lift up your heads with joy, knowing that your redemption draws nigh. It seems to refer to this, for till then the heavens must receive him, in verse 21, gives us that context. Going on with Henry, as God's counsels from eternity, so his predictions from the beginning of time had a reference to the transactions of the last day. The institution of all things in the church had an eye to the restitution of all things at the end of time. So Peter takes them in, in one breath from before time began in the mind of God, and he talks about since the beginning of time with the prophets in the scripture, through all of history up to that moment, what's happening then and the times of refreshing and the times of restoration of all things and how that's all going to culminate when Jesus returns. And that whole thing is happening until then. And you and I are a part of it. It says, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. So let's talk about this a little bit. How long will Jesus our Lord be in heaven at God's right hand before he comes back? Or I guess a better way of saying it is, what's Jesus or what's going to be completed before Jesus returns. So we know some other things from other parts of the Bible about how long or until when heaven will receive him. When is heaven going to release him? After what? 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26. This is inspired commentary we've read from this pulpit how many times? We don't even know, right? On Psalm 110. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26. Then comes the end. So this is that time. This is the end of history. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. So this is the last day of history. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Another New Testament reference to this truth. Hebrews 10. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. And this is all from Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies, your footstool. footstool. So Jesus has ascended. Jesus has been brought to the Ancient of Days. Jesus has taken the scroll from the Father's hand like we see in Revelation 5 and He has opened every seal. And Jesus Christ is reigning. And Jesus Christ is doing something. In fact, His Father's doing it. His Father is placing 
all of his enemies under his feet. Now, let me ask you a question. How might that fit in with the restoration of all things? Think about it. How might the Father, in certain times and seasons, working to put the enemies of His Son under His Son's feet, how might that fit in with the times of the restoration of all things? Jesus our Lord will remain in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, until His Father has put every single one of His enemies under His feet except death. When Jesus comes back, there will be no more enemies to put under His feet, and He will put death under His feet in that last day. That's what the Bible tells us. Alright, so how does this fit, fit in with until the times of the restoration of all things? Put on your thinking hat, okay? Is this time... Okay, first of all, notice times. It is plural. In both situations. Times of refreshment and times of restoration. It's different Greek words, but they're both plural. Is this times of restoration to begin before or after Christ's second return? Okay? Because the most prevalent form of interpreting this is that the times of restoration don't begin until after his return. Okay? So there, there's, no, there's no word after this that tells us exactly what the text should say. So should we read it until the times of restoration of all things are completed? Or should we read it as, or until the times of restoration of all things begin? Because there's no Greek word there that tells us how to understand that phrase. So let's think about this together. I have a question for you. Think about the endless days of glory. What the Bible teaches us about glorification after the final day, after the judgment has taken place, after all of God's people are brought into the eternal bliss of glory. Is there any further restoration required after that time? I don't think so. I mean, I guess you might argue possibly. But... No. Did, did, let me ask you this. Did the garden need any restoration? No. It needed to be tended. The, the garden needed to be spread over the whole world. Dominion needed to be carried out. But that's not the same as restoration of all things. So I would argue that no, there's no restoration that needs to take place after glory begins. So then the question comes, or... Will all the restorations be completed on the last great day of history? That makes the most sense. After Christ returns and destroys the last enemy, the last one, death, and completes the final judgment, can there be any more restorations needed after that? I don't think so. So the days of endless glory, restoration will just be a memory. Dominion, Fruitfulness, fruition, enjoying creation, like we were meant to, but even better, in the garden, that's going to go on. But this idea of restoration is connected to brokenness, that which is not right. And that'll be all behind us, brothers and sisters, when we get to heaven. Well, when we get to final glory. <clears throat> so the times of refreshing... And the times of restoration of all things are both 
occurring during this messianic Pentecostal age of God's Spirit. And Peter is calling his brethren to repent and to turn to God and to receive the definitive forgiveness that's available only in Christ and join in the times of refreshing and the restoration of all things that God will bring forth in greater and greater fullness until Christ finally returns to collect his purified bride, to finalize his total conquest of evil and to restore God's creation to the fullness of perfection. Peter further establishes this idea in verse 24 by subsuming these ideas, refreshing and restitution, because he's pointing back to what he's already said, under the phrase, have also foretold these days. So as Peter's looking back and talking about all these are in the same category. Commentary says, it should be noted that as in verse 20, Peter refers to a plurality of events. So these are the two words for times. This means that again, Peter has in view a period of time and a cluster of events. And if this word, if these two Greek words are parallel, the times of refreshing must be parallel to the times of restoration, suggesting that the two terms materially belong together, which means that the restoration implied in the latter is the mirror image of the liberation implied in the former. These two things are connected to one another. In verse 24, Peter declares that all the prophets beginning with Samuel predicted these days, which is the time in which the nations are blessed to the seed of Abraham. If this third time reference is correlated with these two prior Greek words about times, it becomes apparent that in verse 21, Peter does not speak exclusively of the future, but it includes the present. I want to be so careful not to ever come to you with an idea that I can't find from any other Bible preachers. Okay? But I'll tell you, as I read this text, and I read this text, and I read this text, and I looked at Scripture, this is what, my, this is what I came to. And when I went to the commentaries, I was so thankful that I had not made this up myself. And I believe this is the accurate teaching of what Peter was saying to the Jews on that day and what God's Word is saying to us today. All right, a few more words about the restoration of all things because this is, oh, you know, this is what every good story is made of. This is what every great story gets us and draws us into. And there's no greater story than the gospel, the true story of God's plan for this earth. Colossians 1, 15 and 20. Listen to these words about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things... And in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the first firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, and this is Jesus, may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. And by him, that's Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself. That's the word. Reconcile. It's very similar to restore. To reconcile all all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. 
This is Jesus. We need to think about who Jesus is and think about where he is and think about what's going on in this earth. I think our faith will grow. I think our faith will grow a lot. I think we will see the world a lot differently if we see Jesus more fully. Reconcile means to reconcile completely, this word, to reconcile back again. And this is where it especially is close to this, very close to this word restoration, to bring back a former state of harmony. Something has been lost. Something is very broken about our world. Even the atheists know it. They try to put the concrete of their madness worldview over their heart's longing for a relationship with God and good relationships with others. They, they try to find some grounds for their demand for justice, but they can't find it, yet they know they've got to have it. And even though the buildings they build are ugly, they know they're ugly and they want them to be more like the churches and the great basilicas that were built in the past. We all have it in us to know that this world is broken filled with oppression and injustice and loneliness and barren relationships and ugliness. Jesus Christ gives us back more than Adam lost. It's like a fairy tale. You know, Go back to before the flood and look at how long they lived. This was on earth that they lived. Seven, eight, nine hundred years on this planet. We have to stop and think about who God is. Not what we see around us. All that was lost by Adam is being restored by Jesus right now. All that was lost by Adam will be fully restored in Christ. This world is going to be fixed. The great dominion commandment that was given to us in a perfect world, we're going to get it back and have a chance to do it again in perfection with no sin, no demons, no devils, no sickness, no death. Can you imagine what the soil of that world is going to look like? Can you imagine how the seeds are going to grow in that place? Can you imagine what the air is going to feel like on this world. It's this world. You know that. It's this world we're talking about. This world is going to be remade by Jesus, by God on that last day. And it's being remade in the meanwhile. See, Peter wants his brethren to know this. He uses these cosmic terms to get their attention, to take their eyes off just little Israel and see the bigness of who their Messiah is. He wants the Jews to know that their Messiah's work extends not only to definitive forgiveness, ending the old covenant temple system, not only to the restoration of Israel, hearkening back to the question, the legitimate question they asked Jesus. In chapter 1 he said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. But Israel will be restored through the gospel. It's not even about that. Peter is taking them to the restoration of all that was lost by Adam. And Paul picks up on this. Romans 5, when he calls Jesus what? The second Adam. They've been called into participating in this great epic adventure flowing from heaven. Brothers and sisters, let the glory of this wondrous reality set in on your soul once again today.
commentary says, in sum, three blessings are offered in these verses. The forgiveness of sins, the promise of times of refreshing, and the opportunity to participate in the return of the Messiah. Jesus brings all of this over time. Stott calls these total forgiveness, spiritual refreshment, and universal restoration. The process starts with forgiveness and runs through all the way to Jesus' return. Another commentary says, So the blessings offered in these verses are the definitive forgiveness of sins, spiritual refreshment through the Holy Spirit, and ultimately a share in the restoration of all things. Now that's... These blessings are made possible by the suffering, heavenly exaltation, and return of the Messiah, Jesus. But we have a share. This is why we're called co-heirs. Because we do little things while we're here, by His grace, through His power, to participate in the restoration of all things. But we have to be refreshed in order to do that. Which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. So Peter here, at the end of this section, points the men of Israel, his brethren, to their own scriptures, and he does this time and time again. Note that even the apostles did not rest upon personal authority. You might think Peter would have thought he could just keep going. Well, I saw Jesus. I talked to Jesus. No, they rested their teaching upon God's word even when they gave eyewitness testimony. It emphasizes to us, does it not? How much more so must we rest all of our arguments on God's word? And Peter also emphasizes that this is not a doctrine that's rarely mentioned. It's not a reality that's been tucked away obscurely somewhere in a dark corner of the Old Testament, only accessible by Hebrew scholars. No. All his prophets since the world began. So Peter's like saying, look, you don't really have any excuse to not believe this. I'm just telling you what your own Bible has been telling you from start to finish. Then he gives some examples. First, it's the prophet like Moses. He said, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. So first of all, we see Peter points to Moses as an example of all his prophets since the world began. Moses was a prophet. And since Moses was God's prophet who wrote down the Torah the first five books of the Bible, which goes back to the beginning of the world, it makes sense that Peter would quote Moses first because those writings go all the way back to the beginning of the world. In addition, by quoting this text from Deuteronomy 8, Peter proclaims that Christ is this prophet like Moses from amongst your brethren, raised up by Yahweh. Jesus is that one that Moses was discussing in Deuteronomy 18. Peter tells them they must hear Jesus in all things That is, quote, whatever he says to you. And Peter warns them that anyone who will not listen to Jesus will be utterly destroyed from among them. And surely they would have been thinking about the great prophet Moses and how when all the people listened to him and Joshua after him, they went in and they had victory in the land. They saw the restoration of all things, if you will. Not completely, but they got a glimpse of it in the promised land. Commentary says, Peter quotes this text from the Torah for three reasons. It was Moses who announced the coming of Jesus as the messianic prophet of the last days. It was Moses who issued a strong warning against Israelites who would refuse to listen to the messianic prophet of the future. Three, since Jesus is the awaited prophet of the last days, Jews who do not accept his messianic prophetic authority 
cease to be members of the people of God, no longer enjoying the covenant blessings. So he's making it clear to them, kind of like what we've heard in other parts of the scripture from the New Testament, God can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. Right? Don't think that just because you're uh, a Jew that you're automatically in the covenant. You can be lost. You can be destroyed. And that would happen to a great number of the Jews who did not repent at this message and who persisted in their rebellious rejection of Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Verse 24, all the prophets have foretold these days. All the prophets have foretold these days. And isn't it fun that we're going through the Old Testament now looking for the, uh, our Emmaus Road scriptures? It really fits in. It's almost like you could, Peter, if he were here, he'd be like, oh, I'll give you some more scriptures to go along with that too. <laughs> so we look forward to going, continuing through that. Verse 24 says, Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. So he piles it on. It's not just Moses. He says, okay, and Samuel. Peter again makes the sweeping claim that all the prophets, as many as have spoken, have prophesied about these days. This statement also applies to the Deuteronomy 18 passage that Peter cited. So this is a word that looks back on what he's just said. Moses was prophesying about these days when he spoke with a prophet like me from among your brethren. So Peter makes that claim that Moses' prophecy was about these days as were all the other prophecies about the Messiah. In addition, as I've said already, quote, these days ties this sermon's time frame, Peter's sermon time frame, references that we've already looked at, times of refreshing, times of restoration of all things. It ties them all together so that the Jews who hear this message and repent can expect to participate in the times of refreshing and the times of restoration of all things because those times begin now in these days. One commentary says, Peter asserts that not only the law, but also all the prophets from Samuel onwards spoke of the coming period of messianic refreshing and restoration. Samuel is mentioned either because he is the next prophet after Moses or because of God's promise to David written in the book of Samuel that God would establish a future king from David's dynasty as an eternal king in Israel. We've talked a lot about that one in Christian Instruction Hour, haven't we? The phrase these days relates the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets concerning the times of refreshing and the times of restoration to the present time, which is thus marked as the epoch of salvation that the law and the prophets predicted. The plural indicates that Peter is focusing not on a particular event, but on everything that is related to the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus. These days are the beginning of the last days that are characterized by Jesus' rule on the heavenly throne at God's right hand, by the transforming presence of the Holy Spirit, and by the restoration of Israel, the people of God. So Peter ends this sermon to these fellow Jews, encouraging them. He calls them sons of of the covenant, and looks at this great and wondrous promise. He says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So in closing, Peter wants to encourage his brethren. He wants them to understand that this great and wondrous covenant plan of God in Christ, this 
wondrous future that he's described. This was first given to Abraham. And therefore, by extension, it was first given to the Jews. And then going on even more specifically, Yahweh chose to send Christ to that very generation of Jews to be the first to have their sins forgiven in the Messiah. And then the first generation to begin the process of expressing these wondrous messianic blessings to all the families of the earth. They get to live this out with so much more clarity as the first generation of Jews to fulfill this. Furthermore, by quoting this promise as the summary of all that's been said so far, so this promise is kind of the summary promise from Scripture that brings everything he's taught into this one promise. Peter, Peter, <laughs> Peter teaches them that the times of refreshing and the times of the restoration of all things will occur in connection with Christ, He's the seed, blessing all the families of the earth. It all rolls together. Restoration and refreshing shall be poured forth to all the earth and all those therein. This is why we sang, this is my father's world, and you may have been wondering why the hymnal's been left open up here. The last phrase of the last verse. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. We sing about this, but do we understand it? This is our Father's world, and His Son, the second Adam, refreshes us and restores all things that Adam lost. And He gives them to you and me, if we'll believe it. Another commentary quote. The context of Peter's speech in Luke's narrative underscores the significance of the new community of the followers of Jesus. Commitment to God who has revealed Himself in Jesus, to His Messiah, thus involves a connection between Jesus, the Spirit, the community of those who have come to faith in Jesus, and salvation. Repentance and turning to Jesus, the prophet, like Moses, has at least five parallel effects that go with it. One, the times of refreshing. Two, the coming of the Messiah and the restoration of all things. Three, participation in the people of God. Four, blessing all the families of the earth. Five, blessing for Israel, which manifests itself in turning from wickedness. Praise be to God, right? So let's, let's look at our lives here today. Let's think about these wondrous truths for foothills, for ourselves individually, for our families, for, our, for this world. Jesus said, come to me. You know the rest, right? All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, what about the other things that Jesus said to us in John? What about if you're thirsty? Can you come to Jesus if you're thirsty? Can anyone tell me what will happen if you come to Christ and you drink of Him if you're thirsty? You'll never thirst again. You have to keep drinking. What comes out of you then? More sandy, dusty, dry death? Living waters flow out of you. I, I hope that you will have that beautiful 
metaphor, which is also reality, in mind as, as you consider the questions before you for the remainder of the sermon. Have you been forgiven of all of your sins? Have you confessed your sins to God? Have you sat down, looked up to heaven, and you've prayed to God and confessed your sins to Him? And turned away from them and turned to God to follow Him in His ways. Have you done this? Have you repented and turned to God? Is that true of you? You might hear some say, have you been born again? And, does that mark your life? Do you continue to confess your sin to God? Like I said this recently, when's the last time you confessed sin to God? When's the last time you sinned? I would hope that the last time you confessed sin to God was shortly after the last time you were aware that you sinned. So, brothers and sisters, do you see that the forgiveness of our sins in Christ is the doorway into everything else that we're about to discuss? If you have not been born again from above, if you are not a child of God, nothing that I have to say from this point forward is going to really be very helpful to you. So, especially for the little ones, as you're coming along and you're listening to the preacher, you know, ask yourself, and I know it's been 54 minutes since I started preaching, but I want the children under 10 years of age, under 12 years of age, to particularly pay close attention to me right now. Parents, look around. Make sure your children in that age group are listening to me. Have you... (laughs) Yeah, okay. Thank you, TJ. This is good. If he leaps for joy, please tell me, okay? (laughs) For those of you listening out there, Declan is on his way, and he's hearing the gospel today. (laughs) I want to ask you, children, have you confessed your sins to God? Have you had your own prayer time with God where you spoke to the God who made you and said, I have sinned. I've sinned against you. And turned to him and asked him to forgive you. And trusted that he will forgive you because Jesus suffered on the cross for your sins. Because Jesus paid the price for your sins. Have you? And even if you're younger than, than you know, maybe, if, maybe there's some two-year-olds in here that are understanding. I don't know, maybe sometimes there's a lot of parents and older children that need to understand too. <clears throat> Repent and be converted and have your sins blotted out. So has that occurred in your life? And is repent, our repentance and faith, are those the left-right steps of your life? Next, entering into this doorway, what are you going to find in this house of forgiveness, in this kingdom of purity and peace? What are you going to find? You're going to find a river that ne- never stops flowing. You're going to find refreshing for your soul from your Father's face over and over again. Why is this needed? Do you need to, let me ask you, do you need to be refreshed? Or do you just kind of take a little sip and you can go months and months and weeks and weeks and years and years and you're fine? I know. See, when God blesses us and He brings us into reality, 
This world is a dusty, dry place and our souls are sick places. We struggle with our sin. We work in a fallen world. Thorns and thistles everywhere. We have enemies who want to destroy us. We have our sin within that will never stop clamoring for its own way. We have devils from the outside. We have great life disappointments that feel like they may crush us. But I'll ask you, is your life filled more than that with times of refreshing from the face of the Lord? So someone may ask you, how are you doing? Could you be one who could say from now on, refreshed, refreshed? See, that's, that's where we are. We can live that life. We can all live that life. It doesn't do away with the pain, the suffering, the sin within, the devils outside, the enemies that try to crush us, none of it. But we can drink from the fountain, and that is powerful stuff. There's nothing more powerful than God, by His Spirit, bringing the favor of His face into our soul. So, is your barren soul restored to peace and joy with God and with others? Because that's what it means to be refreshed. That spiritual longing that you have to have wholeness with God and to have peace with others and to be able to learn how to better live at peace with others. The refreshing does this. But it doesn't stop inside of you as I've just kind of referenced. There's an overflowing. Do you see that from forgiveness comes refreshing, from refreshing comes overflowing? We have to to stay close to our first love. Love of certain pieces of doctrine, eschatology, ethics, whatever it may be. These things are important, but they can become unbalanced and distract us. And we can stop overflowing So that when we speak of Him and His truth and His kingdom and His glory, it's not a beautiful overflowing. It is a clanging gong, even though it might be in content truth. We can be that. We can do that. So do you think the restoration of all things is needed? This fallen world that is the fruit of sin is the outward expression of sin. It is the culture of pride, unbelief, and selfishness that is assisted with the devils of hell. By the devils of hell. And so we've got this world full of barren souls clamoring for satisfaction and having no sense of ethical restraint with likely frequent lies and demonic input into their lives. And we have a world filled with violence and injustice and ugliness. May God deliver us from this world of sin. May He, through His refreshed people, make us those who are a part of restoring all things. Do you see oppression and greed and corruption all around you? If you don't see it, then I don't know what world you're living in. And is your life overflowing unto participation in God's restoration of all things? In your little corner of the world that He's called you to.
Because see, that, that is seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. That is the fullness of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not just saved from your sins so you can make sure you go to heaven when you die and everything here is essentially meaningless. No, 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 no. This is my Father's world. We are His children and we are called to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to take dominion and to subdue the creatures and to see this world as it is meant to be in the hands of His redeemed people. Imagine a restored world. Imagine a restored world where the Prince of Peace is honored as the great second Adam and the only monarch of the cosmos. And the great author of life is acknowledged as the only source of truth and that his law is the only source of righteousness and goodness in the world. And that every knee is bowing and every tongue is confessing that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And the institutions that are expressing ugliness and unrighteousness and injustice will be brought low. And they shall be replaced and filled up with the people who are refreshed and overflowing with love for Jesus Christ. This vision is meant to grip your soul, Christian. It is meant to fuel your life and the vision you pass on to your children and your children's children. It is meant to be the vision that fuels this church and every church until it is completed. May God make it so for us. So do you have the faith to believe that you're really forgiven? And does this forgiveness overflow to being daily refreshed? Participating in the places where God gives us those cold drinks, do you have the Word of God in your life? And, and when you're there, is it drinking from your Father's presence? When you pray, is that prayer for you? That you are receiving refreshing from before your Father's face? And when you're here with the people of God, when you're having fellowship with Christians, do you behold in them the face of Christ bringing you more refreshing? Is that what community is for you? And when you're here on the Lord's Day, are you here with all of these people who are hungry and thirsty for Jesus to drink of Him and be refreshed? Is that you? Is that your understanding of life? And are you from there daily in the fight? Because the restoration of all things is a fight. It is a fight daily against our own sin, it is a fight daily against the culture of sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ has given us the tools of victory that we can implement for the restoration of all things. And then it starts over again. Where you remember you're a sinner because of whatever. And you have to recall that you're forgiven. And then you're refreshed and it overflows. And then you're in the fight. And then you repent. You see it? You see how it works? Life. Sin, repentance, refreshing, more of life, the restoration of all things. Sin, repentance, refreshing. Sunday after Sunday, being made like Jesus all the way along. Hallelujah. Praise be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, oh, how we praise you, Yahweh. That in your great kindness to us, you chose before time began 
to include us in Your kingdom, to create us, to bring us to the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Savior and His wondrous death upon the cross, His glorious resurrection from the dead, His majestic ascension and enthronement, and His current invincible reign over all things. And that You've blessed us with the knowledge of Your Holy Spirit and the hunger and thirst for Your presence. That we need the refreshing and You grant it to us. And that You bring us into the fight and grant us the joy and the purpose of participating in what Jesus Christ is doing. What You are doing, Father, placing all of His enemies under Your feet. That You bless us with Your Word and with prayer and with fellowship and with worship. And that You grant to us the humility to repent more and more each day. And that You make us like Jesus our Lord. How we praise You, Father, for all these great and wondrous things. That we would be these people who are refreshed and who are participating day by day by faith in Jesus Christ and the restoration of all things. We praise You and we thank You, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.